forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. I'm going to start by asking you to introduce yourselves so the listener sounds knows what you sound like on the microphone. Um, and Moises, let's start with you. Tell us who you are and where they may have seen your name on their television screen. Um, I'm Moises Zamora, the creator, uh, executive producer, kosher runner of, of the upcoming Selena, the series on Netflix, premiere on December 4th. Um, I have uh, worked on Star for Lee Daniels on Fox and um, John Reilly for American Crime. Um, and I'm, am I right that you have a background, um, you've written novels and prose also? Yes, I actually started uh, my writing career uh, by uh, trying to write literary novels. <laughs> and it was good, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it, it's so limiting. And if you don't have a, a super commercial success, you kind of have to go back to eating oatmeal to feed yourself. <laughs> Sure. Um, and I want to get into some of that because I know some of you have that in common. Um, but Amit, let's hear from you. Um, Amit Cohen. Uh, I wrote before I, um, I wrote and created False Flag. Uh, it's an Israeli show that was sold then to Hulu in France and now it's being adapted by Apple. Um, now I have two shows coming up in the US, Valley of Tears uh, on HBO Max and No Man's Land on Hulu been doing it for more than 10 years. Before that, I was a journalist for 10 years. I, I worked, I, I was an Arab affair con correspondent, so I covered conflicts in the Middle East with close hand, then moved to fiction. Wow, fascinating. Yeah, I want to get into all of that, um, but let's hear from Ron. So um, I wrote with Amit uh, the upcoming Hulu series, No Man's Land, and the upcoming HBO Max series, Valley of Tears. Um, I uh, wrote and created the original Euphoria uh, that is now um, adapted by HBO, and I'm serving as executive producer over there. Um, and uh, yeah, I, st I started as an author as well. And I, and I although I, I, I loved it, and my books were published in 20 languages, and it was really exciting. But the solitude of it, the how I felt so lonely. Uh, it makes me appreciate our what we're doing on television much more, and it makes me more collaborative with other writers because I just I'm I'm so excited about the fact that we're doing that together. And uh, as so, I, I was a journalist uh, for for a, a long time, and also a TV executive, um, uh, and uh, I, I was working for uh, as, as head of content and drama for Kesha TV in Israel. We uh, picked up and oversaw Prisoners of that turned into Homeland and the A Award and, and so many other formats that we sold um, worldwide and created recreated in many languages. So like Amit and I are typically writing a show and then invited to recreate it in Korea and or Russia or India. So that was a part of our journey. So Amit and I decided let, let's just uh, stick to our own stories, um, which is what we're doing now. And it's uh, I could imagine doing anything better than that. It, it seems to be working for you guys. Um, let, let me ask you, you mentioned this aspect of collaboration. Um, and I should say, um, I have a couple of questions, but mostly we just see where the conversation <laughs> takes us. Um, so feel free to pick up threads from each other um, and, and really get into some of that stuff. And, and this is the thread I wanted to pick up from you, this idea of collaboration and TV being such a highly collaborative medium. Um, it sounds like all of you started sort of writing for yourselves, as so many of us do. And I'm curious to hear about that transition to finding your way to the collaborative medium of TV and sort of getting your sea legs in that on the early jobs. And anyone who wants to jump in, I'd love yeah. to hear it. I think, by the way, that there are two levels to that. Before talking about the creative side of it, which will be fun to discuss here, I'll just say that we, so both are, we are coming from Israel. I and mean, Israel is such a tiny country and a tiny market we we're smaller than new jersey and we only have uh, i think five million people hebrew speaking who watch television because ultra orthodox don't watch television and other communities watch other languages 
And we just can't create shows in Israel, uh, surprisingly. We don't have the budget for that. The budget that we do have per episode would usually typically be less than what you have in Hollywood for as a refreshments on the set for that episode. And it made us, uh, it gave us the urge to fly with the shows uh, and, and create, not only sell them and the, when it comes to marketing, but also find co-productions abroad and unlike so typically if you if you talk to an american writer he would be writing an american story and 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 then uh sell it to 169 territories and if you talk to a swedish writer he would typically write swedish shows and will never have the urge to go out because they do have the uh, adequate budgets and he do want to talk to his community but we start we found ourselves because we couldn't create we couldn't make a living over there we found ourselves kind of partly artist and partly and and it might sound bad but it's partly entrepreneurs who are trying to find and the amazing thing that happened is that we found a global a global small village of drama creators we feel we know most of these people like in Australia, Africa, Asia, Europe, yeah. all over the world and we are creating with them. We just finished a show no man's land that had 10, uh, 10 different countries uh, on set, like the 10, uh, filmmakers from 10 different countries. So that's part of it. And that's, and that's something that is really exciting that is happening today. But I, I assume that you were uh, referring mostly to the creative side of it. Well, and that, well let's, uh, but, let's hold on that for a sec, because I think you bring okay. up a really interesting point. Um, and I think, uh, Moises, you're, you're facing a similar thing. I mean, you're making this global series it's going to be on Netflix, but it's not just for Netflix US. And I think that's a really interesting conversation to have. Um, I'd like to hear your your take on that. Well, I think when uh, initially uh, being Selena and she was an international sort of star, especially, uh, you know, she succeeded in Latin America, even though she was American, Mexican-American from Texas, she succeeded in Latin America and Spanish and Mexico before she actually crossed over to the mainstream. So to us, it uh, it always felt like an international um, uh, production, and it really made sense that Netflix um, uh, would be the great the great partner for it because it is being dropped in in 190 countries. And uh, through her legacy, even though after her death in 1995, you know she still transcends, and her music still being played. And we've uh, actually encountered uh, speaking about like this sort of global you know village. Uh, that, is talking about is that, that there are people in Australia and France and you know Japan that we didn't know about and, and I think they're bringing all these uh, people to watch a series with one common goal that I think is really phenomenal and I think that this just shows that how stories are not crossing borders not just America to the rest of the world but the rest of the world they're coming to to America and I think that's really great you know we do have a uh, a Spanish language type of uh, mostly mostly English so we do have some Spanish language in there. And I do feel like they were dealing with new generations that don't mind the subtitles anymore. Or at least at least on the American side, because I know yeah. in the foreign side, we you know we prefer, I think, our, our movies and shows in subtitles on the original audio. And so uh, I think that's going to be really interesting how, you know, uh, this international sort of conflation of shows is coming, up, coming in this, into this platform. And the yeah. traveling part of it is what makes us, this is not only intriguing and not only, Amit and I, we love flying. We fly a lot. And every time we find ourselves in a, used to before the pandemic, but we're going back to it really soon. So typically I think that every time we found ourselves in a new city, it would be Tokyo, it would be um, Buenos Aires, it, it brought senses that we never we were never aware of it almost it's 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 such a magical thing so the fact that we started we suddenly found friends in like landing in buenos aires meeting juan campanella a director we always wanted to to meet and collaborate with and suddenly find a story that touches us with the three of us it's it's an incredible journey just being being an artist but at the same time and it's not a new thing you know we we grew up on uh um Gabriel Garcia Marquez. He, he used to live in, I think, 25 different cities and countries. It, this is cre the creation of stories. Um, is it, it comes together with the traveling, I think. 
Yeah, I th- it's interesting that you mentioned Marquez because I think you're right. I think a lot of like books have known this for years. I don't know why it's <laughs> taken television so long to get on board to not understand that like stories are stories. There's a universality to the specific. Um, but let's let's pick up on that conversation um, about collaboration and. Um, Ron and Amit, I know you guys are writing partners now, or you write together now. Um, did you write for television on your own? I'm I'm sorry, I don't know. So we did uh, we did our first show to Ron. By the way, we know we, we go way back. We, we met each other, I think, almost 25 years ago, and we did a lot, of, a lot of things together. And Ron is the one who introduced me to this world, this crazy world of of screenwriting. Um, so we did our first show together. It was. Uh, an espionage show and and then we started working ron started working on euphoria on the israeli israeli show i I started working on false flag and each one of us needed to do something by himself and since then i think we're working together we did two shows together we're developing together um there are projects i mean in each project we work differently but i think that the people think you know i i live in la so everyone wants is involved in it somewhat. And so many people think that, you know, the first thing you do is you sit and you start writing lines. You like write down. <laughs> and Ronald is like, yes, the metaphor, it says, you know, it's like you you, you want to, to build a house and you start with the, with, with the drapes and the furniture. No, first you need the structure. And people don't know that sometimes you, you can work for months or years for some, sometimes until you find, develop the, the right idea, the, the, right, the right structure. So when we structure something, and for me this is the most beautiful part, this is we do it together. And when we couldn't, when we met, we used to you know we, we just walk for hours. We walk and talk and walk and talk, and we come up with the craziest ideas that has nothing to do with screenwriting, like soup machines. And like in the middle, <laughs> we, we talk about about characters and about philosophy and about politics. It's, so this is part of of breaking a story. We always start from from the characters. And then only when we feel comfortable, when we know that we have something that we feel unique and something that we want to write or we want to live. And this is when sometimes we separate and everyone writes an episode and then we share it with each other. Um, it's for me, this is the right way to, to work. I mean, this is, this is how we do. But then at some point, I, I don't look at it as collaboration. It's like, for me, it's symbiosis. I mean, Sometimes we're so in sync because we work together for so long. We're so in sync. Sometimes we come up, we have a problem and then everyone goes to think about it and we come up with the same solution sometimes. <laughs> but at some point you need to bring someone else. You need to bring um, a director. You need to be producers. You need to be actors. And this is where the collaboration starts. And it's, sometimes it comes with a lot, of, a lot of frustrations and compromises, but it's part of the problem because sometimes you imagine something and you, but you want someone, you don't want someone to say, okay, I'll do it. I'll just execute it. I'll be a technician or engineer who execute your, your vision. You, you, want, you want the feedback. You want someone to, to, to counter you. This is what we did in, in most of our shows. Sometimes it's, again, it leads to frustration because you imagine something and it's not exactly what you wanted. But sometimes it brings, the, the, I think the end game, the, the end result is, is better if, if it's not only you, if, you, if you're open yeah to bring someone else into the process. Uh, the unique voices. But you know, the crazy thing is that if you would ask us, what is the one thing we wish, uh, like year, looking 10 years from now, we just wish to work with only with people we appreciate and love because it is an awful process that sometimes brings people who are not as open as you are to compromises, etc. And you, you, we do, we do want to find unique voices that are different than us. But we, but a lot of the, a lot of the people in this industry, especially people who come from cinema, for example, who are used to uh, to working alone. It is the process of the symbiosis writing is, is a tough process. And yeah, we, but when I mean say we're walking, it means 10 hours, 10 hours of walking for, it, it can be from Beverly Hills to uh, downtown to Santa Monica. It's insane. But, and then when I'm basically, when I'm getting back home, when I'm writing, I need to lie down uh, in the dark room. I'm writing while lying down or standing. I, I can never sit. Sitting is awful, but or 
or it can be in a hot tub or kind of a tub that is, yeah, that, that would work, but never sitting. But it, it, but the walking part of it is, is, is the basis of everything for me. Somehow it helps the mind move. And, and we, and when we try to, and, and I, I use drawings just to not only to imagine a scene, but also just to imagine the, the structure and the thing, the, the one thing that we appreciate, but is also strange and awkward in the, the, in the U.S. in comparison to Israel. And I'm, I'm really curious how it is in Latin America and in Mexico, but it, in comparison to L.A. But L.A. is, is totally um, into the structure and we admire that. At the same time, sometimes it, it limits creativity in, in ways. Now, basically, I think... In Israel, we work in a huge mess. Everything is a mess, and the audience is really neurotic, and they get bored and get and they are in, get, feel insulted too easily. And you just and everything is a mess, and you don't have time for anything. And it's and you're just daring and trying things, trying new things. And in in LA, the conversation would sometimes not only be on three acts; it would be on the beat sheet of Save the Cat by senior executives that are going to be obsessed with the structure of Save the Cat. And this is really strange. At the same time, it does help you. I do admire some of the uh, directors and writers who are brilliant and are the most bold and daring you would meet, but still they do treat the, the basics as a holy Bible that, that is there to help you. And after you have this this structure you can fl fly freely and we kind of fell in love with it through the process how is it in latin america well i think that there is a combination of both because i i, I think it used to be a mess or it is a mess still <laughs> as far as structures and just kind of organic storytelling but now that now that netflix is you know present in mexico city and has 50 productions you know that cater to the you know entire latin american territory uh, they're also looking for that specific structure that they have, right? Which is, uh, yeah, it might be uh, three or four acts, but they do want that cliffhanger for the binge watching. And they do want that to continue. And, and there's always that sort of element of like, okay, well, how are we going to end this? Whether it's an emotional cliffhanger or an actual, you know, uh, explosion or whatever that is. So we can bring the audience back since there's no, you know, they're just subscribers, but we want them to be glued into that. Can I ask you specifically about um, working within that Netflix, that Netflix mandate on Selena? Um, I mean, you're dealing with a life that is, you know, pretty well known. Um, and, you know, the the story cliffhangers seem like we already know the outcome of those, but you can build in these emotional cliffhangers. Right. So how did you start to tackle that? How did you start to break up the story you wanted to tell? Well, I think that uh, one of the a lot of the things that a lot of people are familiar with the movie, which is a two hour movie with Jennifer Lopez that really started her career. And that, that's, that's wonderful. But having, uh, when we're proposing and the vision that I proposed to Netflix and the producers and the family was to really take a deeper, closer, like a closer look to the early days and they were struggling and what that coming of age sort of story was like. And then as she transforms into the superstar and woman and, you know, international sort of, uh, idol, uh, so th for me, there was always a structure to that telling. It was like uh, the early days, the middle when she falls in love, and then how she deals with her superstardom. And it's just uh, then dividing it further into those little moments that piece it together. And sometimes our cliffhangers are not really um, that bombastic, if you could say. There's just little moments that perhaps like our audiences didn't know or an emotional beat or a family situation where like, okay, I could, I could still pick up the thread to the next, to the next story, to the next episode. And especially when we had to um, sort of skip a couple of years and sort of try to cover like 15 years and nine episodes, you know? So that's, that's sort of kind of the maneuvering. And that's, I think it was beautiful about what Ron was saying is that you try to find solutions. You, you know, for me actually are like 20 minute naps. <laughs> I go and like okay oh. I get really like overwhelmed and then I'm like I force myself to take a 20 minute nap and suddenly something sort of like gets released during that little nap 
that it, you don't go deep enough to go to sleep, but you go deep enough to sort of see a solution. And I think to me, that's how it, it works. Um, and, uh, and then you, and you find that, you find that a couple of little nooks of storytelling to, to, to build it together, to bridge it together, to create that structure. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I think you, you both, you all touched on this, that there's something to that working indirectly on a story, right? Like taking your mind off it, going for a long walk, whatever it is, uh, helps you, helps the back of your brain put these things in order. Um, I want to talk about the current projects you all have and Ron and Amit, you guys can sort of divide and conquer on this since you have two projects to talk about. Um, okay. But I want to, I want to talk about like why these stories, why do you want to tell this story um, and why are you the person to tell this story? I think that's sort of an important question that we, we run into a lot in the past few years. Um, you know, we're told as new writers to go and pitch something or go and write something that only you can tell. Um, what makes these shows that for you? Um, and, and anyone who wants to sort of start us off. Great. So I'll take uh, Valley of Tears, our HBO Max uh, yeah. series, and Amit will take uh, uh, Amit will take No Man's Land uh, for Hulu. So um, I, first of all, I'll just say that for me, the strange thing is that I, I I do believe that writers should look in their not only in their hearts and their but also in their families and in in their um, in their background and everything. But at the same time, I believe that. Um, I, personally, the the escape that comes with the writing is the best gift. The the ability, my ability, to be my alter ego. So I would always, I would always want to be my alter ego. So I would always choose to write someone that I am not, and I would always choose to jump between identities. So it won't necessarily be oh, write about your childhood because you're the only one who is capable. Sometimes I have a passion. You would tell I I will be able to write a story, and I know it sounds it sounds arrogant maybe, but I will be able to to write a story about a, ch a childhood in uh, Japan if I'm really attracted to Japan and I can spend five years of my life dreaming about this and and being frustrated that I'm not, that I didn't have a childhood in Japan. So uh, usually uh, there are exceptions because I just, I wrote last year a, a film about a political assassin that, that was a disgusting character uh, in so many ways, uh, but still intrigued me. But usually I'm really attracted to the character. It will be characters that I'm sexually attracted to in many ways. It will be things that are, because you need to spend years of your life with the story. And the, the main, the first problem that everyone is facing uh, is that you have the instinct. Sometimes you hear a good story or a good pitch or a good idea and you say, well, this is such a good initiative. This is just such a good story. I must pitch it to someone. And sometimes you pitch it and then you get a green line and that is awful because now you need to spend four years of your life on the story. The, the choosing the right story means that if, if you chose a story that you're really attracted to and will be excited to spend five years of your life with, you're going to be good and you'll find all the solutions. Now, Valley of Tears is a, a it, it's, it's, it's a war uh, drama and it's 10 episodes that are super intense, four days of, of, of a surprise war uh, in 1973. And it, it, I, my first film 15 years ago was a, a war film and it was nominated for the Oscars, uh, Beaufort. And I told myself, well, I'm not going to touch a war again because I, I said everything I have to say about a war and I want to reinvent myself. I want to do euphoria. I want to do the other things. But uh, Amit and I were fighting for 10 years to create this one, Valley of Tears. And we're, while we were traveling worldwide and creating shows in Korea and in France and every, everywhere, we knew that we have, we must go back and create Valley of Tears. And the reason, and there are many reasons. So part of it, because it's really emotional for us, we brought our, our stories, our families, our, our, it's the biggest trauma uh, in the Israeli history. It's a moment that changed the Middle East. It's a moment that changed Israel. But at the same time, it's a, it's a kind of we found this as a story that can help us tell national reckoning of, of the Israeli society. 
And, and the whole idea is to tell the Israeli society what everyone promised the moment after this disaster that was we were facing destruction and tell the Israeli society, we promised ourselves to be, after that happened in 1973, to be a better country, better people, a better nation. Did we fulfill this? Now, we, we were, as kids, we grew up on this American huge war stories or, or, or smart, beautiful war stories, uh, uh, like uh, The Bridge on the River Kwai and Thin Red Line and Deer Hunter and Apocalypse and, and, and of course, um, uh, Saving Private Ryan. And, and what we, the first thing we said is that, okay, if we're going to make the biggest production ever made in Israel, because it's going to be 10 times more expensive than a typical Israeli series, we, we must make sure that we are not imitating any of these uh, war films. We need to find conflicts and dilemmas that were never told uh, in any war stories and situations that, uh, that like, voices, unique voices of soldiers that, and it came from us because there is a, a, a nerdy guy who was not trained to fight, but he's uh, a tapping unit guy. He's just tapping into people's phone lines. And he understands not only that a disaster is coming and a war is coming, no one listens to his warning and warning signs, but also he he understands that his outpost is going to be uh, conquered by a commandy, an enemy commander. And he's begging everyone to listen to him. And this is, I'm just giving it, and, and it's based both on us because we were these nerdy guys on a tapping unit. This is our military service, but it's based also on Amit's father. So everything over there is really emotional for us. But, uh, but, but it was, um, at the same time, it was trying to live four days of no sleep, of, of constant conflicts and dilemmas between a group of kids and people who were thrown into war with no, um, w- without any, without any preparations or trainings. And sometimes it would be like, because that's Israel. Sometimes you are an accountant or a lawyer and you're living your daily life with your kid or whatever, eating lunch and you hear a siren and you know, okay, now I'm driving to war. An hour later, you are killing people or being killed this entire insanity was something we tried for the first time on television because it's a story that never been told for, to tell a story about the Israeli uh, biggest trauma ever. So th- that was our main. That's, that's really exciting. Um, and, and knowing that backstory sort of makes me look at the series with new eyes. That's really cool. Moise asked the same, the same question. I'm curious to hear how, you know, you're getting to tell your story through Selena's story and what attracted you to that story in the first place. I mean, you're the creator and co-showrunner of this show. This is, you know, you have a huge voice in this show and it's also a huge responsibility. Well, you know, um, I think uh, ultimately it does tell a Mexican, the story of a Mexican-American family, which uh, I'm Mexican-American. There's a lot of parallels between my family and her family. And even uh, in the creative point of view, something about Selena that she didn't really speak Spanish as, as well as, as uh, you know, growing up. And she had to learn this, you know, this language in order to succeed in, in, in her music endeavors, because her music in the early days was all Spanish. She succeeded there, she became a star. And for me, it was kind of the same sort of trajectory. Uh, my first literary achievements were novels in Spanish, because for some reason I thought that maybe that was just going to be the easier route, uh, or it was something that I didn't know how to uh, carry out with success and or maybe I was just scared and intimidated by the English language and the publishing world of of American literary markets but uh but so drawing on those perils I was able to sort of um yeah right from where well from what I knew even though this is still a period piece in the late 80s and early 90s and and so I was I was younger then but but it it, it feels close to home because um, one of the things that they were looking for, for sure, is to give it a sense of authenticity. You know, like the nuances of what it is to live with two identities in a country that perhaps only sees one, or um, or is only cares about a, a certain sort of way of assimilating into American culture. 
And I think that um, that's, a, that's refreshing to be able to explore and through this, you know, particular drama that a lot of Latinos in America know and grew up with. And so for me, is it was like the perfect, the perfect sort of big project to take on and just to, you know, not be too afraid because it's something that I, I was familiar with to begin with. Um, I think it would have been a lot scarier um, if it was something a lot too foreign for me. Now I, I, I want to do sci-fi and horror and, and just yeah. venture, like Ron said, into other territories and, and other cultures and other places with, with that sort of same curiosity. But I think this was, in a way, the perfect bridge for me to take on this much responsibility and lead a room of writers and, and put all these episodes together. Did the did the project come to you? Did you bring the project to Netflix? The How did project it came to me um, because I was I had gone to live rights of the world's youngest psychologist, who happens to be this thirteen year old Mexican girl from Mexico City, so this like genius girl, speaks five languages, and so I was sort of soft pitching that around. And uh, where is that show? Right. Well, actually, I'm, now that I got now that I'm done with Selena, I'm developing that now. <laughs> So, oh, good. Um, which is also another fascinating story because she's like the third of a family of geniuses and they have a center for genius kids. And so it was just, I just got enamored with what that whole, that kind of, you know, story was. And so I stopped pitching that around and uh, CAA uh, must have realized, my former agency um, must have realized that I was doing already producer entrepreneurial work, trying to set up, you know, the project outside of just, you know, writing it. And um, they set me up with the producers that had the rights, at least the relationship with the family for Selena. So when I came for to speak to them and the general meeting to get to know each other, I basically pitched them the entire show. <laughs> I was ready uh, and uh, pitched them all the vision for it. It was like a two and a half meeting, two and a half hour meeting. And uh, the next day I got the job. And, uh, and so we were able to... Uh, gotcha sell it to the family, sell it to Netflix, and then the, the rest is kind of history in that sense. That's wild. Um, let's let's move on and let's talk about um, No Man's Land. I mean, maybe you can talk about this. And, and we were talking about, like, why are you the right guys to tell this story? Um, where did it come from? How is it personal for you? This is a story um, that takes place in the Syrian civil war. Um, what made that a subject that you wanted to tackle? Well, they paid us really well. Like a lot of money. sure, <laughs> always, always the first thing. Uh, so Ron and I we knew that um, we wanted to deal with, with, with the things that happened in, in, in Syria with with the events there. So I, I mentioned that we, we were journalists and we, we we covered. I mean, we covered the the, the events in, in the Middle East for ten years, I think. And along the way, you collect. You know, when you, when you're a journalist. There's people think that there's like if you tell a story, it's the same thing, but it's it's completely different, almost completely different occupation between being a, an author, a novelist, and screenwriter and a journalist. And when you're a journalist, it's about a journalistic story. I mean, you're focused on on facts, hopefully on truth. This is what you're supposed to. Do. And you always ask yourself, is it like worthy to be printed in, in the newspaper? But along the way, you collect a lot of people, a lot of characters, a lot of experiences, almost subconsciously. Even before I knew that someday I'll become a screenwriter, I collected these people and experiences with me. And you know, sometimes you sit with with a suicide bomber. Okay, so, so someone who already who was arrested, right? But someone or or a woman who already put the, the explosive belts on their bodies and were willing to blow themselves up, and you sit with them and you try to get into their heads, or you, or you sit with with someone who recruited this woman or this teenager and was willing to send them to do a suicide bombing. Or on the other side, you sit with spies and, and, and terrorist hunters who try to stop them. And these guys, they're not necessarily a journalistic story. Sometimes you sit with them for hours and you hear so many stories, but it doesn't end up with, with, with an article. But they stay, they stay with you. And I think along the way, I mean, we collected all, so many of these stories and we wanted to deal with it. And we were fascinated by a few things. We were fascinated by the journey of, of how the, the world is so globalized and so small that you can take one flight, you suddenly you're on the other side of the world, you cross an, an imaginary border and suddenly you're, you're in a different world. We were fascinated by, you know, we, we always try to imagine what it would be like to, become, to, to live, to be part of a resistance, of an underground. And, and we, 
in, in the context of Syria, we wanted to explore it from the eyes of an outsider because, because there, are, there are so many ways to tackle this horrible civil war. I mean, it's one of the biggest tragedies of, of our time. But we felt that we, we, have, we want to look at it as outsiders and ask ourselves as a team, what will make someone go and fight someone else's war? And is it someone, else, someone else's war? And then we were, uh, got a call from uh, a friend, a, a producer who we worked with. He, she's a co-creator, Marie Feldman. And she came up, she, she told us about uh, another, another aspect of the war, a, a militia of, of women fighting ISIS. And practically ISIS at that time, they were in, in, in a win-win situation because either they won the battle, but if they died in their eyes, they went to heaven. So you, you can't lose. The only, the only catch was that if you, were, if you were killed by a woman, you don't go to heaven. And when we heard it, it felt like something that complete our, our story. Um, and, and, and we decided to join forces. And this, this is how the project, uh, the project started. And it, it was, I think it was, we, we found ourselves in it because we imagined ourselves in, in so many of the characters, but it felt important because the characters were metaphors in a way. It, 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 it gave us an opportunity to tell something that we felt was um, compelling on one hand because it, it leans a lot on family drama. It has the suspense, but it, it allowed us to, to provoke, to unprovoke our audience in the question of, is it someone else's war? You're, when you're sitting in, in, your, in your living room and watching these guys go and join a cause, the good guy cause fighting ISIS or the bad guy cause because we have uh, a subplot of, of British friends joining ISIS. So it, hopefully it will make the audience think, think, think when something like that happens on the other side of the world, can we sit and say, okay, it's, it doesn't concern us. It doesn't have to do anything with that. With that. Hundreds of thousands of people die over there. Millions become refugees, but it, it, it's not our world. So we will just look the other way or can we be involved in, in in, in, in a way, um, I have to say that on, on a different level, it was a, it was a challenge because we wanted to know if we can make it. I mean, we, we knew that we wanted to deal with with this world, and we knew that theoretically the audience and networks wanted to deal with it, but it was a very hard sell. Because there were at, when, when we started working on the idea, I think there were at least like seventy pitches of the civil war in Syria, and all of them failed. And when we sat with Hulu and we. They read the script. They heard the pitch, and when they when they were willing, bravely to 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 give us a green light straight to series, I mean, it, it it felt good. It felt that you know that we have we have an opportunity. And, you know, we sat and wrote the, the the entire. We had the entire season structured in our heads, so that it, it was really fast. One and I wrote both, both all, all the episodes. Um, oh, wow. So it was, um, uh, and by the way, just uh, I think it's interesting how, as a writer, we both I think knew that we want to write a kind of exploring the inner life of a resistance. Much before we had this project, we knew that one of our next projects would be a, an inner life of an underground resistance of some kind, we, because we want to live. We wanted to live inside an inner life of of a resistance. We didn't know what type of. And then when we uh, started writing the story, it was two things One for us. It was one, it was a resistance and, and, and the good guys and the bad guys, it was uh, when Amit pitched it to me, he said, well, but, but the good guys, imagine it's like Hemingway going to fight against the fascism in Spain in the, in the civil war. It's like, it's, it's, uh, and, and the second thing that it was, it was a journey. It was the car, the characters here are constantly on a move. They're constantly moving and, and moving because it's, they're crossing the most hunted, beautiful land. And, 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 and the good guys and the bad guys are, are always in, in this constant journey. Uh, the guy who comes from Paris and, and those who came from the UK to fight. And so again, each of us found the one uh, character he's uh, attracted to or wants to be with. And it was the gift of writing women, a militia of women fighters. But at the same time, for me, the idea of being able to uh, challenging ourselves, writing a, a, a British guy who's not was not even uh, raised as a Muslim and finding 
the ratio of, of bringing him to fight for ISIS, to join ISIS, and and fall in love with him in a way that for seconds you you feel he's not only relatable, but also you feel a lot of compassion to him. Mm-hmm. And moments later, you are disturbed by the idea that you could feel compassion and empathy towards him. And and, I, and and we thought, oh, well, who would give a green light for an idea about, uh, uh, for, for a story about these guys, the bad guys, in a compelling, compassionate way. But we got a, a straight to series from Hulu. They were uh, so um, understanding and, and brave and, um, and compassionate themselves to the idea of we should explore this. So... It is a show about the good guys. Basically, it's the women militias, but at the same time, it's uh, it's so much more. Sometimes American executives always make, they tend to put you in a box. Say, okay, you come from Israel, so what's your next espionage show? What's your next terrorism show? Something about rabbis. <laughs> and, and so I, I, we always try, I mean, even when we do espionage, because we did do espionage, we always try to come up with, with something different, with, with a new angle. I feel that in Norman's Land was something completely different, even in the storytelling, that what we've, we've done before. But I think that now, you know, after doing Val- Valley of Tears and No Man's Land, by, two, two war series, by the way, in Syria, on the two sides of the border with four-year gap between them, but I think now we would really like to, you know, to try something different, like a different tone. Not a musical, but sci-fi. Or <laughs> a romantic <laughs> comedy. Exactly. A romantic comedy. I, I would sure. tell you how to, but yeah. I want to see romantic comedies from all three of you. I'm into this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think it's a great idea. And yeah, maybe we, we, throw a musical. Uh, we did, first of all, we did that. Uh, so... We did that as uh, script uh, editors. Uh, we had uh, the Baker and the Beauty. It's that is now adapted in the U.S. So it's like we we played with that, but but it's totally. It was. I think I was when we were fighting for six years to convince someone in the U.S. to believe in euphoria, and everyone said no to it. Uh, I, I was asking myself, I mean, is it so important for me because everyone says no to end because people are just expecting us to write war stories and espionage stories, or is it more than that? And it was more than that because I think that as a kid, just mostly because I was a type of a nerdy guy and more uh, the writing and the idea of thinking of, of dreaming of becoming a filmmaker was all about the idea that in the filmmaking world, I can do Gus Van Sant, Elephant, Kids, uh, and and meeting um, train spotting. I can do that, and for, and it, it was really it was really hard at the beginning just to find someone who would give us the just the green light and believe in that and and the partners for that. Um, and and it's it, it's so it's again the the idea of like reinventing yourself every time. We wrote. Tragedies, and when we when we were writing tragedies in the past, Amit was always saying, "I mean, if the the one thing he finds in drama, so uh, the drama comes with great solace. It's it because every disaster play a role and happens for a reason, and every evil has its purpose, and it doesn't actually occur with the random banality of evil in real life. So, and, and drama makes an effort just to remain within sufferable boundaries, and it obeys its own law and order, and, and the audience knows the, the rules, so he knows what to expect, and, and in the right moment, um, you do get the – the journey does bring you to a kind of resolution, and it, it, it serves – uh, the changes that emotionally the character needs to transform. So, but again, after writing tragedies and 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 the world is spinning out of control around us, I do feel right now that I I, I need to I, I need to create a and a try and 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 write look and feel and tone that of, of new worlds of dreaming of being uh, uh, working with uh, Almodovar like things that I used to dream of as a kid and we haven't even started fulfilling yet so our next yeah. story is about awesome. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to ask real briefly uh, Moises about your writer's room mm-hmm. um what was the what was your expectations of the room uh, bringing them in? How did you find them? What does the makeup of the room work together? 
Uh, it was, uh, for me, it was very important because I know there was a lot of pressure to have, uh, you know, to tell the most authentic uh, sort of version of Selena, the series, especially when, you know, the family is from South Texas and that's a very specific culture of its own. And so I needed to have people from South Texas and uh, a couple of writers from, I think it was like three or four writers that were actually from Texas. I was uh, 100% Latinx in that, and mostly women. Uh, I'm a little conscious about sometimes being blindsided about not having that feminine perspective as much as I want to wear some glitter and, you know, have a long hair or whatever. Like, it's like, I, I still can't, you know, there's some things that I'm going to miss. And um, so that was important for me, especially um, to, because, uh, you know, Selena is so iconic and beloved and for uh, a lot of Latinos in America to make sure that I'm listening to those voices. So it, 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 it never became sort of an issue. Um, the producers were on board. Netflix supported that sort of strategy. And um, after that, it was a combination of um, getting a diverse sort of POV when it comes to their craft. I actually had like really dark drama people as well as like comedy people. Uh, because there are some moments, especially in the early parts of the series, where it actually is kind of a family, lighthearted sort of show, but it eventually becomes essentially a tragedy. And she was brutally murdered by someone in her inner circle. So the tone shifts. And in order for us to gradually um, get there, I needed sort of the right balance in the room. And I did have that kind of representation um, there. And so, uh, but, you know, a lot of these, writers had already were familiar with the story and they were passionate about it and so they had their own relationship with the real you know selena as far as like how they viewed her whether it was as a role model or old enough to be like yeah I actually was young enough to be around the time when she was doing her shows in texas and all over the united states so it was it was in a way very personal and emotional but at the same time highly structured <laughs> and we had to like, you know, make hard choices, especially because we're also getting anecdotes and the family was giving us sort of versions of a lot of the things that happened. And so we needed to accommodate for that. And um, wow. probably in the future, if I could have my way, I, I would do something like out of this world, something like not grounded. So, you know, an animated series about, <laughs> you know, demons and dragons, um, yeah. just so Sorry, I can fire. get, uh, yeah, just so I can get that little Definitely. break, you know? I, I absolutely yeah. love real life stories and, and I commend you guys for taking on such like hard, like topics, you know, as Thanks. war, because when I, I knew that for an American crime, we did human trafficking and it takes a toll on your mental health. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and I just can't imagine the toll that these individuals here had to sort of experience because you do have to experience those emotions in order to be able to put them on the page mm -hmm. in, the, in the most heartfelt manner. And you have to live through that. And sometimes, you know, that uh, that's a lot of like uh, pressure on the mental health. So I want, I mean, that's a question <laughs> to them as well as like how do they deal with, you know, um, that sort of toll on their mental health when they were dealing with such a, you know, hard and difficult subject. My wife watches we show I mean the, the rough cuts and shows us why why I mean what are you thinking <laughs> torture <laughs> the, Here. yeah where, where does it come from and perhaps I don't know perhaps it's like perhaps I'm like Stephen King you know I just need to throw to put it on screen you know in order not to do it but cathartic process you know to put all yeah. the darkness out in order not to live with it I see that yeah. <laughs> it makes sense. Um, Let's uh, let's just wrap up. Uh, Selena, do you have it? What's the premiere date on that? For Selena, December fourth. Yeah. all episodes for the first part will be released. Awesome. So I think I think that's the day or near the day we release this, so folks can go check that out. Um, no Man's Land Vampires, November eighteenth. Oh, so they they can see it. You can watch it right now. <laughs> yeah. What are you waiting yeah. for? <laughs> um. Thank you guys so much. We'll we'll wrap up as we always do by asking what you are watching on television these days. What's getting you excited or inspired? What are you talking about with your rooms, each other, uh, your loved ones? And Amit, let's start with you. Um, so I, I just finished watching uh, The Boys on Amazon, which I liked. It was gory the way I liked. I watched two things. I, I, again, for myself, I need something gory and, and extreme. Uh, preferably something I wouldn't write myself. 
so the, the boys. And with my wife, I, I will watch uh, uh, my brilliant friend, uh, which I think is beautiful because it's like reading, reading a book and it's so nicely done. Friends of ours are, are the producers and it feels like uh, an escapism, but something completely different. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, Ron, what are you watching? So um, besides that, everyone is watching. Uh, it's just the, the crown and and, um, and and Mrs. America and whatever. What, what we I think one thing that um, I was uh, astonished by was uh, the intimacy on uh, normal people. Uh, which is on Hulu, and it's uh, a BBC production, and it's so beautiful. And also, uh, I just uh, a bit late with watching uh, Years and Years with Emma Thompson, and I was so envy at this project. I just wish we could write this project. Years and Years is so beautiful. And so, what was it? What was it about that one that really spoke to you? That like, I love that feeling when you watch something and you're like, oh, I wish I could do this. Yeah, I mean, it's. uh, the idea, first of all, Emma Thompson is great there, but the idea of being able to tell something, to shout something about what we are facing today and the, the, the path that the world is taking today with uh, the sins and, and the weaknesses that we have due to social media and where it might head us and being able to tell this not in a didactic way and being able to mm-hmm. jump from year to year now till... 2036 and realizing in, in a very um, creative way uh, just the life of a family and what it might bring us to and 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 all the themes that are being dealt there so gently and so brilliantly uh, uh, like immigration or, or any of the things that we want to handle and we never know how because of course we are here to entertain we're not here to we're not politicians but we sometimes you just have the urge to deal with something uh, and and take it out of your heart and they, they've done it so smartly and beautifully it was uh, yeah that's a good one I think a lot of people slept on that one too and I think yeah. that that's a, a great description of it. Folks should go, go check it out. Uh, Moises, what are you watching? Well, uh, first of all, I have to comment on my brilliant friend and normal people. Absolutely stunning. They are the kind of shows that like made me want to go dig up my old novels and be like, do I have something <laughs> like that here? It was so literary and beautiful. Um, but I, like I said before, I'm like in sci-fi horror world. So I was I had a great time watching Raised by Wolves and Lovecraft. Uh, country, uh, just because like I just I just love the novelty of it and they're just really compelling storytelling and and it just took me out of my space <laughs> that I really yeah. appreciated it and the way they deliver those those messages were, it was phenomenal. It's it's funny how work horror movies have done for us this year where yes. <laughs> you think it's the last thing we want to watch but for some some reason it's very comforting. Well, especially I think for Lovecraft Country, it's like there's just such social justice themes that otherwise maybe a little too close to home, perhaps a little too raw. But, you know, once you see the ginormous monsters that they're fighting, you're like, okay, I can do this for a bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just so creative. And that's I think that the power of entertainment and storytelling is that there is a way to be able to tell the hardest story to tell and, and there is a genre for it. And, and I think that's, you know, we're all privileged yeah. to be able to do that. Totally. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much for chatting today. This has been great. Um, folks should check out your shows and follow you on your social medias um, because I, I think you're all good follows. Uh, thank-, thank, you. thank you, Ben. Forever. Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram, at Forever Dog Team, and liking our page on Facebook.